this is not meant to be divisive, but boy, man, you start talking about what, what the biblical concept of hell is and the Jewish concept of hell, and people get gnashing of teeth. And I would just share with you that this is meant, not meant to be divisive. It's what the, first, the forefathers taught, that uh, if you go look at Adam and Eve, there were two choices. One gave you life and one gave you what? Death. Was there any mention of torturing you forever? No. And Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil, and I came to conquer what? Sin and death, right? And at the end, what does he say? I've done it. And so we get all these strange things that if you don't say the magic words on this side of heaven, then you're going to go burn up and, and all this stuff. And that is not the concept of hell. And so uh, please understand me as I'm trying to, and why this is important in my mind, and by the way, thank you, I, I was shocked at the responses I got from around the world on the internet. They were all positive. And mainly I was like, I hate this message, but the, honestly, the Holy Spirit last week would not let me get off this thing. And he's like, you know what? I, uh, so I just wrote some notes. I want you to understand this. And why is it important? So when, when Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree, did, did the enemy ever have any power? No, he is the author of what? Lies, deceit, exactly right. So anything he says is what? A lie. Now, here's what happens. God is unconditional love. He's perfect love. And he, he gets Adam and Eve to start believing the wrong thing. So if you believe a lie, you start believing that he's not unconditional love and somehow he's mad at you or angry at you, what starts to happen to you? What happened to Adam and Eve? The minute they believed the lie, what happened? They got fear and shame, right? And they hid in the bushes, right? Did God show up on time? Always. Always. So unconditional love shows up on time. But here's what happens. If you guys have read the healing codes and love codes and everything else, as soon as you experience fear, once you believe a lie about yourself, that I'm not worthy, I'm guilty. And so this is, this is, our, this is the condition of the human, is we believe lies about ourselves. We believe that we're eternally condemned or we're guilty or we have to feel shameful because we've sinned. Sin, sin is not the issue. The wrong belief system is the issue. The wrong belief is, I believe the wrong thing about myself. I'm dirty, I'm guilty, I'm sinful, I'm not worthy. Um, you know, some of you guys, if you, if, uh, if you talk to a lot of Christian counselors, you know who the biggest challenges are typically? Charismatic Christians who believe the, that, they've, that they've sinned, and they've they got all this strange spiritual warfare going on, and uh, they actually start to go nuts. That's why he said, I didn't give you that spirit. I gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So when you start getting fear, here's what happens. Have you guys seen that? The part of your brain, I don't want to get into all that. I love that kind of stuff. That was pre-med. But anyway, the part of your brain, I'm not going to get into all the amygdala and everything else because you'd be like, what, what in the world? Um, just suffice it to say, the part of your brain, when you have fear, it shuts down the ability for you to have compassion, love, and reason. It literally shuts it down. You know what else it shuts down? Your immune system. So when you're believing the wrong thing about who God is and hell and you might be eternally judged, you know what happens? You start getting sick, right? I don't even want to go there. I was going to say something. but um, So <laughs> it says the, the weak and beggarly elements of the old covenant. The old covenant makes you weak and beggarly. It starts to rob you from everything you had because you started to believe the wrong thing. So when you believe a lie about yourself, it produces fear. The fear produces uh, it shuts down the part of our brain that has compassion and love and reason. And that's why he said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you a spirit of what? Power? Love? 
Because here's the other part. When you, have, when you have love, you know what it does? It shuts down the part that causes fear and your immune system works right. Isn't that fascinating? So he gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So it's, it's really interesting to me. So I just wrote some notes here. The reason I think the right concept of hell is um, uh, we have to have is because if you still have a, a spirit of fear or you might have, you have this fear of that, um, it's just strange to me. Like if I had a relationship with my wife, which is supposedly what Christianity is, we've all said those words where we go, you know what? Uh, at least I used to say this because it's kind of how I was taught. Hey, you know what? I went to church my whole life, but I didn't have a relationship with him. Anybody ever say that? Now I have a relationship with him. I go, yeah, a really dysfunctional one. Because you think that he's still mad at you, and uh, the God's mad because we got to meet him someday. Good, Thank God for Jesus because Jesus, whew, we can trust that guy because God poured out his wrath on Jesus and punished him instead of us. But isn't that weird? So if I had a relationship, we're supposed to be married to this guy that we're supposed to love, but if I had a relationship with my wife and I said, sweetie, here's the deal. Um, don't ever do X. I'll love you perfectly, but if you ever do X, I'm going to throw you outside and with no protection, no anything, and I'm going to turn the heat up and torture you for the rest of my life. Does that even function? We can't even go there, can we? I, I would probably get thrown in jail for that, yet that's how we portray most of Christianity that we that we believe. So I just wrote, let me go through a couple notes and we'll go through scripture because what I want to do for the next two, three weeks is really just show you once you, all of our concept of torturing, eternal torment, etc., really come out of about three or four verses in the entire Bible. Once you unravel those and you really see what's going on, the whole thing fits and you start to get happy. It's happy theology. You start going, oh, this thing fits. I get it. We, we run around the house all the time now going, thank you, Jesus. We get it. So anyway, Adam and Eve, the minute you eat of this tree, we're going to torture you forever if you don't say the words on this side of your life. No concept. You know how many times that concept's given in the Old Testament? Zero. It's 31 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's as Sheol. What's Sheol in the, in the Old Covenant? Anybody know? The place of death, the pit, the abyss. That's all it is. That's not eternal torment. In fact, it says, you know what? I'm going to go conquer sin and death. And then at the end of Revelation, he says, I've conquered it. It's over. And the very last verse says, you know what? The gates of the temple are open. The gates of hell have not prevailed. My love has prevailed. I've rescued all the people that died. And they're out of the pit. And then hell and death die. It literally says hell, if you go read Revelation 20, it says, and we'll go through that briefly, but it says hell and death are emptied. So whatever your concept of hell is, it's empty. Isn't that good news? That's good news. It's empty, and then it's thrown into the lake of fire, which is really God's all-consuming love, which consumes everything with his love, because love never fails. His, ang his, anger, his anger is for how long? A short time, but his mercy endures for ever. And it says... My forever, my mercy and love fail. If you didn't say the magic words, it failed. How many times does it fail? Never. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? So I keep getting off track. So why is this important? Because the greatest, uh, oh, I wrote, the greatest act of love, God said, I, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That word perish is, literally means to be lost. It's the same word where in the parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep. But we think, what do we think of perish? You're dying, rotting, molding. Most of you guys think you're with maggots that never die and you got the flame flower on you, right? That's what you were taught of hell. 
And so <laughs> it's not at that. He said, I love my creation so much that I sent my son to die for them that whoever believes in him is not going to be lost anymore. They're going to be found in my nearness. I love them perfectly. And so um, we've made that greatest act of love. We've made this unconditional love of a loving father into a tyrant that we can't even believe that, that he would do things. See, Jesus comes and he's talking to the religious leaders, the Jews, and he says, love your enemies as your self. So what are we supposed to do to our enemies? Love them. But the God we serve doesn't love them. He torches them forever. See how bizarre this is? It's like, what? What what are we thinking? And so anyway, uh, when you believe a lie about God, that's what I said. When you believe a lie about God, you start to have fear. And you know, when you have fear, you don't have trust anymore. And you start getting selfish. And you know what happens? You start getting inward focused. Instead of outward focus, I was talking, you don't love anymore, you don't show compassion, you get hard. And what happens? Anger, murder, strife, all the things that Christians are trying to counter are the things that we actually get into the more religious we are. But once we know that we're loved perfectly and forgiven, then we can trust this guy because he wouldn't leave us in hell. He wouldn't leave us in death. He's conquered sin and death. And that's why scripture says, you know what, they're all their life they've had a fear of death, not torture forever. So... So the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go through all those tough scriptures, and honestly, I think you'll start to experience life. You start to get joyful, and I've done this so many times now over the last couple months that uh, uh, of people you know, like sincere Christians that are trying to live their life per- in a great way and great families and great marriages, etc., when they finally catch, they don't ever have to be worried about going to this place called hell. They usually start weeping. Is that fair? Like bawling. <laughs> It's like this, this weeping, like, you know what's starting to happen? You're starting to be healed, sozoed. Because <sighs> that's the condition of the heart that we need to heal. We need to learn to trust this guy again. Does this help you guys at all? So, okay. So when you fear, you get focused, selfish results, destructive acts, results in sin. So when we love other people, we're center-focused, and that's what God said. He said, you know what? The greatest commandment is love the Lord, the God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, which you can't do. Jesus did it, Right? And so now he sheds that love abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So once we know we're loved, now we can start being other focused in love versus inward focused and scared and anger, murder, all the things. So when you see Christians with the traditional gospel that are going to burn in hell, do they ever look happy? No, because that fear in the back of their mind literally shuts down their brain where they can't experience love, compassion, and reason anymore. So when I say, well, that's weird that, that God would torture his enemies forever, um, but he tell, Jesus says to love them. Now, when it says we love them, Scripture says it pours what on their head? Burning coals. Weird. What's he trying to tell you there? His fire is purifying. So when you do an act of love where they expect you to retaliate, what happens? They start to experience something different. That's why God says the goodness of God leads you to metanoia. You guys get it? Fire and brimstone does nothing. That's why the church is without power today. Now they act like it. Go, oh, I got this healing power and all this stuff. But have you looked at the people? Are they enjoying life? Are they happy? Are they joyful? Are they have great relationships? No, they're typically angry and ticked off and gnashing of teeth. Just what Jesus said was going to happen. Okay, is it fair enough? So I'm going to go through some scriptures with you. Let me see if I had anything good here. Was this good so far or no? Good? Uh, The gospel of an angry fire God doesn't have any power because it shuts down your your mind, will, and emotions that are exposed to experience love and compassion. Uh, yeah, love never fails. Sin and death has been conquered. 
Hell in the Old Testament was the grave. Death, it was not torture for eternity. Jesus conquered sin and death. And that was the last enemy that was destroyed. And if it was truly... Oh, I can try to turn to read my writings. So, um, and I'm going to show you too. As you, it'll start to help you. So I'll, I'll go through some of the parables that I've been promising forever. So um, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, right? We, we think that's hell. And the, Lazarus and the rich man, what's the other one that everybody talks about? I'm slipping my mind right now. That's right around it. No, ten virgins are all in there too. Uh, not Sodom and Gomorrah. Lazarus and the rich man, what's the other one? Oh, the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats, that's the classic one. So we'll go through those over the next couple of weeks too. I'm telling you, once you get them, you're like, oh. So if you go look at this clearly, is um, the only time he talks in parables, see, who... Who were the people that were seen and never seen, hearing and never hearing? Jesus tells you who they are. The Pharisees. The, Pharisees, the Israel is what he said. It was prophesied that you, you guys are hard. And Jesus goes, listen, I'm going to speak in parables. So even though I'm telling you the truth, you guys will be the people that are seeing. You see what's going on, but you can't see. You're hearing, but you can't hear. And he gives them dire warnings that he says, you know what? All calamity is about to be poured out on the old covenant. It's going to come to an end. And Jerusalem spiritually is Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? It was destroyed, right? And he's telling them, he says, listen, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've, I've tried to gather you under my wings like a, like a hen gathers everything, but you won't listen. He goes, you truly are the, the hardened people that Isaiah prophesied about. You're not listening. Now, so all of the, the, the parables about judgment, about Sodom and Gomorrah, about uh, uh, the sheep and the goats, my sheep do what with his voice? Hear his voice. So go, who do you think the goat nation is that's not hearing his voice? Israel. And he's trying to warn them. He's like, man, you guys, this, this, this place is going to destruct. And it's right in Matthew 24, 25, etc. because all the disciples were going, wow, look at these beautiful temples, etc. And Jesus does something shattering. He goes, I tell you the truth, all this is going to be wiped out. And then they, they get to him privately and they said, whoa, when's this going to happen? Because we thought you were going to come reign here and go sit in this physical temple where they, uh, where they still sacrifice lambs. Doesn't even make sense, does it? Why, if the last sacrifice that purified everybody forever is what it says, why would they sacrifice lambs? He's like, this old covenant, is, it, Jerusalem is just like Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's going to be destroyed, yet at the very end, we're going to redeem you and all Israel will be saved. And so I'm just kind of giving you like the big picture. So the goat nations don't hear his voice, they don't listen. The Christians... They get out of Dodge, they go hide in the rock at Petra. And Josephus, the historian, says not one believer perished. And that's why it says, you know what, and if, you, if you listen, the goats and the, the sheep, said, I'm a good shepherd, I separate them. So some of you guys are going to experience life in this. And it says eternal life, and the rest of you guys are going to experience eternal torment, judgment, Etc. And that word torment literally is eon. It's an age. And so I'll go through that over the next... I'm probably not going to do that today. I'll probably do that the next week. But age literally is... Um, it's, the, it's, it's an age. The old covenant age versus the new covenant age. So he says, you know what? You're going to experience... Uh, touch... It's really fascinating. I don't want to get... I've got to do that the next couple of weeks. So I'm just giving you a heads up. So once you unravel those scriptures that he never talks to the sinner, if you go look at the sinner, he never gives them dire warnings. He doesn't going to say, you're going to go to Gehenna fire, you're not going to go in the fire, anything like that. You know what he does to the sinner? You're forgiven. Today you'll be with me at paradise. No dire warning. That should give you a clue. The apostle Paul is the, is the apostle to the 
Gentiles. You know how many, how many times he warns Christians that they might be tortured forever? Zero. Now, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if the, if the critical part was, say these words to get in the club before you die, don't you think he would have talked about it once? But that's all of our evangelism. I go, no wonder it's not working. And wonder why Christians are experiencing weak and beggarly. They're not prospering. Things aren't happening in their life. So I'm going to try and unravel that. You guys with me? All right, so let's go through this. All right, eternal, eternal torture, love that never fails. Let's go to this first slide real quick. I'm going to give you, these next couple ones are going to be like, um, more like a Bible study, okay? All right, so these are like thought projects for you guys. He says his love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, except when you don't accept Christ before your death, then it fails. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and bless those that curse you, Matthew 5, 48, but God isn't going to love his enemies. He's going to eternally torture them. Does any of this fit? So I'm trying to show you. And I'll, I'll tell you, this whole legal system where Jesus had to be punished and eternal damnation, eternal punishment, go burn in hell forever, was not in the first four, 400 years of Christianity. It really came in with Greek mythology that God's angry. He's on a, and that's why uh, Paul talks to Timothy, I think. Is it Timothy where he says, hey, avoid philosophy and all these things and avoid all these puffed up things where they've seen angels and all this stuff because he goes, they don't know what they're talking about. He warns them. So really is, is when, when Constantine, Augustine, when the, when the church finally accepted, when Christianity became the, uh, the official religion, guess what? They started putting the eternal punishment in there. You gotta, and if you go read the, the, if you go to read the Greek philosophers, it's really interesting. I was reading Cicero and some of these guys today, and he goes, hey, you know what? The, the people are such wieldly people. We had to invent hell to keep them under control. I'm like, wow, that sounds like Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy was, God's not happy with you. He's on a mountain somewhere, and death, Sheol, the, the, the sea, is where the dragon, the serpent, the, all these creatures come out of. And you got to appease this angry God somehow, otherwise he's mad. And they came in, and then they were under the Roman influence so long that they started believing in the legal system of punishment versus God's system of punishment. God said, I didn't come, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to what? Save it. So these, these thoughts of eternal punishment, um, metanoia, where we get the word repentance. If you go look up repentance, what, when you're in Sunday school, what did repentance mean to you? Stop sinning, right? You know what repentance, the Greek word is metanoia, change your mind. Change your mind, right? The goodness of God leads you to change your mind. You start to think different things. Oh, I can trust this God. But the church put in there with the help of the state, keep the money flowing, boys. Make them pay and repay for their sins. Isn't that weird? So I'm just trying to share. You, can, you don't have to believe me. You go search this out. and Trust me, I've been in this day and night for months, and I finally was like, I got it. I finally feel comfortable sharing with you guys the good news. Fair enough? Okay, so God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save the world. That, that's the Greek word cosmos. It's the world, the creation, the universe. Jesus was not sent to judge the world, but to save it unless you don't accept him before you die. Then you'll be judged and tortured forever. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a dad you can trust, isn't it? What does it do to you? Exactly the same thing it did to Adam and Eve. I don't know if I can trust this guy. Right? So, the day, of the, the day you eat of the tree, you will surely die. But death is not enough. You need to burn. 
Isn't that weird? If I, if, honestly, if, if you, Scripture says this. He's a heavenly father that knows how to get good gifts to his kids, right? And it says, if you ask for a fish, what's he going to give you? He's going to give you something good, right? And it's, it's, he's trying to use common sense with you guys. And he says, you know what? You yourself being earthly fathers, understand that. If your kids ask for something good, you give them something good. And then he says, how much more me being a heavenly father that is perfect love, that's unconditional love, get good gifts to, the, to my kids. He goes, don't think that you got this thing figured out. I'm way better than you. Isn't that cool? So if we would never do that, if, if I said to that to my kids, I said, you know what? Um, see, and here's the other thing. Does love ever coerce? Does that, see, we read that verse like, every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. I was taught this. Um, I remember just these speakers and stuff, they're going, you know what? You can trust. He's so good. No matter what sin you've, you've ever done, all you need to do is accept him. There's no sin too big. His grace superabounds. But if you don't, man, you're going to say it someday and you're going to go burn in hell. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So I'm just trying to give you these thought pieces, and I'll, I'll go through the next couple of weeks to, to show you that the Jewish concept of hell is very different than what we were taught. It really came in in 4th, 5th century AD with Greek philosophy and Roman judgment. All right? And how many of you guys were taught that the King James is the only translation, you, you're, it's the best, right? What's fascinating is the King James was never even translated out of Greek and Hebrew. It was tra- translated out of the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate was what put all these punishments in with the, with the official church state that said, we've got to control these people. So now the newer translations, you start, they're starting to come out where there used to be a lot more hell in the Bible. Now it's Sheol, it's the Hades, it's a lot more of the real words that we translated as hell. That's a little tip for you, okay? So, but wouldn't that be the enemy's tactic? This is the only Bible you can read and you go, ah, yeah, but this one wasn't translated from Greek and Hebrew. This was a, a translation from the Latin Vulgate which put in all the fear and hell and you got to burn okay go look at the you guys know what the Nicene Creed is when the apostles came together and said hey what are our church philosophy go see if you see hell in there it's not there where did it come from we got to control the people that's what I really believe so all right next slide anyway there's actually a happy ending to this thing so the last enemy that will be destroyed is Jeff Jesus didn't Jesus just declare he's risen victoriously over sin and death didn't he say he's conquered it? Well, then where's the enemy? It's over. That's why we're on the cross. He said, it's finished. It's finished. I've conquered this thing. So all were born into sin with no chance. How many of you were taught this? See, this, we struggled with this forever. And we were always taught, well, no, the first Adam was more powerful than the last Adam. So Romans clearly says this. Um, how much choice did you have to be born into sin? None. Right? It says, all were in the first Adam, born into sin. And Adam is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, meaning that one man's going to represent all man. And now the last man is called the last Adam, Jesus Christ. The last man, literally what it means. And it says, all were in him. All died in Adam. All were made alive in Christ. All, all. Interesting? So, if we didn't have any choice, it says, you know what? Even though people didn't know they were sinning because the law had not been given, and sin wasn't even added to their account, did people still die? Yes. The old covenant produced death. The new covenant produces life. 
When the old covenant was given at Mount Sinai, how many people died? 3,000. It's a type and shadow. When the new covenant was given at Pentecost, the Spirit came, how many people lived? 3,000. So what you see that causes death in the old covenant produces what in the new covenant? So if all were in the first Adam and everybody sinned and died in the first Adam, and life and death is what we're dealing with, the two trees never change, we've got to conquer sin and death. Jesus said he conquered sin and death. He went down to the hell. He went down to Sheol, the pit, and he's got the keys. It says the gates of hell have not prevailed. They're open, right? So if all were in Christ and the new covenant produces life, how many are going to live? That's what it says. That's what it says. So anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that all were died in Adam, all were made alive in Christ. Thank God I'm a simple man from Iowa because that is not that hard to me. So now, see, here's the thing. Love does not make people bow at the end. So is it possible, this is why people, see, you, people go, are you a universalist? No, and I'll explain this. It's really becoming more clear to me. We're all included in the second Adam. Yes, is what it says. Now, how, how, many, how many people does it take to experience love? Two. Because one, one has to give it and one has to what? Receive it. Now, I suppose it says whatever your concept of hell is, is literally in the lake of fire in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels. And it says death and hell are going to be emptied and then death and hell are going to die. And then Revelation 21 says, and there's a new heaven and a new earth and everything's happy. I've conquered sin and death. So I suppose that somebody could reject his unconditional love, but how long? And if, we, if, we, if it was up to our choice, we didn't have a choice in the first Adam, don't you think it would, he would do it? He'd be the savior who he said he actually is in the last Adam? Or why would he have kids? We've talked about this a lot. I've heard a lot of ladies say this. I wouldn't even bring my kids into the world if I knew they could possibly have eternal torture. And it's so sad to me because the Western gospel, how we're teaching it, actually there's moms who don't want to bring kids in the world because they think it's going to go to hell in a handbasket and uh, they might be tortured for the rest of their life because that's the God they, they heard about in Sunday school. How sad. So the, the most unconditional loving guy in the world was turned into a tyrant by our religion. And I'm just trying to eliminate that a little bit. But I guess you could say that somebody was in his presence, his unconditional love, without avail. It says, when we see him clearly, we will be transformed into a spirit. And we'll go through that a little bit more. Uh, I just don't think you can resist perfect love forever. Is it possible? Now, the other part of universalism where people get upset is, do, well, it just doesn't matter. You know, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, everything doesn't matter. No, it matters a lot. Because it matters if you're believing the lie, you know what starts to happen in your life? You start to experience hell. You start to experience judgment here. You go to the Middle East and a lot of these Muslim countries, do I love my Muslim friends? I love them, man. But uh, uh, we've been there. You know what you guys, we call them the sheet stores. They show the, the sheets, right? The women have to wear the black sheets. We're in Dubai and it's 120 and they got to wear the black sheets. And the really religious ones, you can't even see their eyeballs. And so these men are cruising around. The women, it's 120 degrees, sweating, etc. And if they even expose their eyes, they can beat them with sticks under Sharia law. It affects you. You experience hell. But do I believe that they're going to see unconditional love despite that in the end? Yeah, I do, because Scripture says that's what's going to happen. Now, could they reject it for the rest of their life? Yes. So I'm not saying Muslims, Buddhists, etc., all roads leads to, to him, because there's only one way in. It's Jesus Christ. 
Does that make sense? And it says everybody. I don't care what your belief system is. If you had a wrong belief system, you're probably going to experience hell on here. It's not going to be that enjoyable. You're probably going to believe the wrong things about your life, and you're going to create a religion, and you're going to get angry, mad, etc. the definition of it, and experience hell here on earth. Yes? Oh, sure. I can't see you. Sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Could he come in, though? Yes. You guys hear what he said? Yes. Is that just talking about All the parables are talking about Jesus coming, his nearness, where the old covenant's going to go away, that end of the ages, and the new covenant's going to be instilled. That's what he's telling them. And the older brother's like he's saying, was he, could he come in at any time? Yes, he could, right? Yes, he could. But did he want to come in? No, he was angry outside, gnashing his teeth, ticked off because God gave the, the, the guy who went to Vegas and spent all his money on hookers and whatever, right? Isn't that how you think of prodigal? <laughs> Sorry if it's too graphic, but that's really what he's trying to show the Jews. He's trying to go in, now, now listen, your brother's going to come, and I'm telling you, you're supposed to love your brother, not tell him he can't come in, but you've lost your salt. You guys were supposed to save the earth, but you're so focused on saving Israel that I'm going to take away your stewardship. And you know what? This whole thing's going to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. And did that actually happen? Yes. So, did I answer your question? Yeah. So, could they come in? Yes. That's why the Revelation 21 says, you know, C.S. Lewis says this, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. That's not even true. It says, they won't prevail. The gates of heaven have been sprung wide open, and the new covenant gates into his presence is open forevermore. Come on in anytime. Right? There's never this concept where it's too late. In fact, in the Old Covenant, when somebody died, they went to hell, they went to Sheol, the pit, the grave, literally is what it means. But Jesus says less, and I'm going to go down to the pit, the hell, the grave, and do what with it? Preach to them in the grave, and what's going to happen? They're going to come out. Isn't that beautiful? So what just happened? Death was conquered. That's it. Party. Let's have a party. That's what the whole Bible's about. Anyway, so, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, doesn't have the same power. I guess death sometimes is more powerful than his life. Every knee in heaven and earth and things under the earth shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what Philippians 2 says. Every knee, how many is every? Every? In heaven and earth and things under the earth. What Paul's trying to do, all his writings, he tries to show inclusiveness. He goes, listen, principalities, powers, above the earth, below the earth, on the earth, in heaven, below all. He's trying to just give you a picture of everything. Does that that make sense? So he said, everything, what's under the earth? Typically hell is what, how the, how the Jewish mind thought, the abyss, the death, the grave. So everything on the earth shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, if we read Romans 10, this is how I was taught evangelism. It's so sick now that I think about it, because I I remember even being in this meeting like, okay, when you come to the gates of heaven and uh, you go, why should you get into heaven? What's your answer? And then people go, Oh, you know, I was a good little guy or whatever. I went to Bible school and, and I gave my, I, I tithed and all this. And then the guy doing the leading goes, eh, wrong answer. You're out. What a crappy relationship again. That's a terrible relationship. Does, does that make sense? That is not what happens at all. It says, you know what? Every knee is going to bow and confess that he's salvation, who he says he was. And if you confess your salvation, what happens? 
and says, nobody confess that he's Lord unless the Spirit does it. And the Spirit gives what? Life. You see how the whole starts, starts to come together? Or you still, want, you still want your angry hell that you want to send the people. You want to be like King Julian. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Where he didn't first, I'm sorry, we're a little bit better than you because we said the magic words and you didn't. So, no problem. We're just a little bit better than you. I just, I, immediately when I saw that, I go, man, that's like, that's religion right there. That's instead, in fact, when you see that Christ is in and through and holds everything together, you start to have compassion on people and you start to love them. And that's why I love Baxter Kruger when he said, you know what, here's how evangelism should be. Go evangelize all the time and every now and then use words. What does he mean? He goes, love your neighbor as yourself. Show compassion, show love, be with them, see the goodness in them. Because Jesus said, if you even give them a drink of water because he's in and through everything, you did it to me. Isn't that cool? And what were the Jews doing at the time? No, Lazarus is outside. We won't even give him a drink. And he's giving them a dire warning that, you know what? You're, the, things are going to be turned upside down, Israel. You're going you're to wish that you could actually get a little drink of water on your tongue and you're going to see Lazarus in the bosom and it's going to make you mad. Right? And then they have this chasm that cannot be broken. But see, I... What he's trying to show that he's going to go, it's going to be exact opposite of what you think, Jews. He says, you're going to be cut off for a little while, but are they going to be grafted in? Yes, yes. So, anyway, here's a little thought process, too. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, where are they today? Are they being eternally tortured because they didn't do Romans 10.9? Where are they then? That's the, that's the formula for salvation. They died. Right? And Jesus was saying, listen, Abraham, all the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're dead. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm the God of the living and the dead. I'm going to go down there and preach, and they're going to come out. Cool? So what do we have to look forward to? Life. Zoe is what it says. Amen? I'm going to conquer sin and death. So is this good for you? All right, let's go into Scripture. So you actually believe I'm actually, well, I don't know what I wrote on there. I was doing this in the Army-Navy game. Yeah, wasn't that snow? I don't like snow unless I'm skiing on it, as she knows. So, Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We all believe that, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So, the beginning and the end. So, except some people will have torture as their end. Does that even make sense? For an unconditional loving father. No, he is the end. He's the beginning and the end. So, I'm just going to go through some of the, the, the hell things for you so you understand some of this. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Uh, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, how many die? All? Even so, mean, what's even mean? Equally, right? Equally real in Christ, how many are going to be made alive? All, because he's going to conquer sin and death. That means that, and Revelation 20 says, death dies. Hell and death are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. So what he's trying to say is this whole concept of, of judgment and death finally comes to an end, and there's no more. And then Revelation 21 says, now there's new life. There's new life. So, all right. So verse 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. What was the warning in, in Genesis? Life or death? What was the warning to the Israelites? I set before you life and death. Choose this day. Did they ever say, I, you know what? we got to go evangelize these guys because if they don't, I'm going to torture them forever. If that was the case, wouldn't that be all over in the Old Covenant? Because Jesus said, if you see the Old Covenant, the best way to interpret Scripture is, that's me. 
That's types and shadows of me, is what he said. If that, was the, if that was the case, don't you think the old covenant, they would talk about it? No, they talk about death, but conquering death. They talk about fire, but I'll show you over the next couple of weeks too. Fire was always purifying and restorative. You know what? He would take their hand off Israel, but he would always take their hand off Israel, and they would go through fire is what it said. They'd go through judgment, but then if you keep reading, they always say, so that they would turn their hearts back to him. It was never eternal torture. It was, there's a reason we have trials and tribulations here on earth. We've all heard this is, we, we call it tough love, don't we? Sometimes you just, parents, don't we do that? Sometimes you just let them go. They're going to learn. That's God. That's what he says. He goes, but, but listen, I won't let you go through anything that's too much. I'll intervene. So that's what he's always saying. You're not, never going to go through too much where all is lost. Because I won't let you do that because my judgment, this, the trials and tribulations, the fire on earth, the purification process is supposed to turn your hearts back to me. Meaning that if you're in a relationship and you keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over, is it fun? No. And he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go through it until you get it. But once you get it, now you're going to go, oh, stop doing that. Stop being self-centered and start being outward focused and love people. You guys get it? That's what he would always do with the Jews. So the last enemy that destroyed is Jeth, for he has put all things under his feet. Now when all things are made subject to him, how many things are going to be made subject to him? Well, then the son himself will be subject to God who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Cool. So, when you accept Christ into your life, you're too late. He's already there. <laughs> you're just starting to experience him. Does that make sense? He goes, I'm in and through and withhold all things by my power. You can't experience the life unless the life giver is already in you. Now, I believe in the born-again experience, um, she, she had it, but it wasn't because you said the magic words. She got a truth. She got light where she didn't see darkness anymore and, and like spraying up with life. And I remember people would always ask me, they'd go, when did you get saved? And honestly, I could never answer, could I? I'm like, I don't know. Um, I had a great life, and then I accepted Christ, and it sucked. So I'm going to go back to my old way and just believe he loves me. And it worked together. <laughs> So I didn't have that deal. I, so I've always questioned, like, I did my confession of faith, and everybody cheered and clapped, and yay. And I, nothing happened to me. You know why? Because my heart didn't change. And that's where life happens. I start to, I, I don't believe the lie about him anymore, that he's angry and mad. I believe that he's, God so loved me that he sent Jesus to be salvation and conquer death. And now I can live with him in this beautiful relationship on this side and on the next side. Does that, does that make sense? All right, that's why it says, hey, you know what? The people here that believe in Jesus, especially those are going to be saved. But everybody is, is what it says. Now, could they reject his perfect love forever and be angry up there? I guess so, because that's what the older brother says. But I hope not. I hope not. So he's going he's to be the beginning and the end. He's going to consume all things under his feet, and all, he's going to be all in all. Beautiful? Yeah. All right, so next slide. All right, so I've talked about this a little bit already. The Jewish concept of hell or Sheol. Um, you guys know that hell is an English word that's never mentioned in the Bible, in the original translations. You guys understand that? It's never in there. So Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tehom, Tartarus. Well, I'm missing one. Whatever. Um, they're all translated the same as hell. And then next, next week I'll talk about the everlasting. If you really get that, you it starts to get exciting. You go, oh, I get it. I get it. So anyway, so hell, the Jewish concept of hell or Sheol was the grave, the pit, where you go when you die, right? 
And Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it says they're, they're in Sheol. They were in hell because Jesus had to send because he had to be the firstborn. He had to be the first Adam that brings life. Now, if he's got the keys of sin and death, the thing that he said he was going to conquer, what do you think he's going to do with the keys? He's not going to lock you back up in there. He didn't go die on the cross and go down to hell, the, the pit, the death for three days for nothing. Right? He goes, no, I came to go conquer it. So you don't have to go there. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so instead we find that God conquers, uh, in fact, we never find this concept of, of punishment forever, torture anywhere in the Jewish, uh, uh, and ask, ask your Jewish friends, go, hey, 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 what do you believe about eternal torture? And they'll look at you strange, like, what? No, 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 we believed in death, but we believed in Messiah, and when the Messiah comes, there's going to be a resurrection. That's what they believed. No concept of eternal torture in the pit and the Dickie's barbecue or anything like that. So, 1 Samuel 2, 6, the Lord kills and does what? Makes alive. He brings down to the grave. That's Sheol. It's all, it's the other places it's translated as hell. So hell is the grave, the pit, the, the thing. And he brings up. So he doesn't leave you there is what, what David says. He takes you out of there, right? That's what Jesus said. I knew I could trust my father. He wouldn't leave me in Sheol to be corrupted. I'm not going to experience corruption. This makes sense to you guys. Is this boring or are you guys okay with this? I think it's good because I got to get you out of this fear stuff that you might go there someday. Because your brain shuts off and you can't experience love, joy, compassion, and reason. You get stupid, poor, and you don't love people. That's really what happens when you're in fear. Isn't that weird? So, anyway, the Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He, he doesn't leave you there. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes. Isn't that what he says? I'm going to make you kings and priests. All right? And he'll make them inherit the throne of glory. He will make them inherit. I'm going to make you inherit. He goes, you can run, but you're not going to out, 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 outdo my unconditional love. I think I'm going to get you in the end, is what he says. Does that help you guys? Oh, so that's Old Covenant. You can go check it out. I don't want to belabor that too long. But those are all the Old Covenant uh, uh, types of hell. It's always Sheol, the grave, the pit. No eternal torture. All right, next slide. All right. I'm not going to get to, uh, I'm not going to, get to Hades next week, but I'll, I'll talk about Gehenna here. So Gehenna... The word hell is translated 12 times in the New Testament from the Greek word Gehenna. Ge, ge or ge means the valley, and henna means Hinnom. The valley of Hinnom was the garbage dump on the south and west side of Jerusalem. And, and go look at scripture carefully. The only people he tells that are worthy of Gehenna fire are who? The Jewish nation and the religious Jews. And you know what happened at 8070 when the Romans came in? The high priests and the Jewish bodies were thrown into the valley of Gehenna. And the vultures and the, and the maggots and everything ate their bodies for everybody to see. Doesn't that sound like Revelation? So, the New Testament from the word Gehenna. Gehenna means valley, Hena means Hinnom. The valley of Hinnom is the garbage dump southwest of Jerusalem where the smoke from the garbage dump never stops. And maggots, worms that don't die, consume what? Flesh. See, this is a, not only did all the old covenant law, if you walk by flesh versus you walk by the spirit he goes i'm going to destroy all of that someday and I, this is where i believe you know a lot of you know steve and i you've talked about this a lot with about full preterism etc do i believe that uh 80 70 really happened and all this happened yes because that's that's what the the warning was to the jews he goes you're worthy of gehenna fire so what he's telling them is he says listen it would be better for you to cut your hand off and pluck your eye out and live versus go down to gehenna 
What he's trying to tell him, he goes, I've warned you guys that when, when the Rome surrounds Jerusalem, get out of here. Because if you don't, you know what? You're going to experience death in this age, eternal punishment. I'm going to go through that next week. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But it says, you're going to experience death in this age. The other experience life in this age. They're going to get out of Dodge, even if it was better for them to listen and cut their hand off than stay there and get their whole body thrown into the valley of Gehenna, hellfire. You guys get it? Now, I believe it's also a type of us where it says, listen, it would be better for you to start experiencing my unconditional love now and having a relationship because if not, you're going to get thrown into the lake of fire when, when death and, and hell empty their pits and you're going to go through correction and it's not going to feel good is what it says. Chastisement's never good, but it's for the good of the person. So I believe it's also a type for us too where that's why it says the whoremongers, the drunkards, all these different things are going to... They're not going to enter into the kingdom because all that's going to be burned up until there's nothing left but silver, gold, and jewels. Then you can enter in. You guys get it? So I believe it happened physically, but it's a, it's a picture for us to go, hey, you know what? It's best to start accepting his love now so we start to experience life versus having to have all the correction when we actually see the judgment seat. So, all right. So you guys get it? You know, Revelation talks about the worm that doesn't die, and Matthew talks about it, the, the smoke that never goes away. And it was literally that valley where they threw garbage. And it says, you know what? If the salt has lost its saltiness, you're not that good. You're going to get thrown into the, the, the valley of Hinnom as like garbage, like you're going to be trampled under people's feet and they're not going to... My, my love of Israel is actually going to be trampled under because you've lost your salt. You're not trying to preserve anybody. You're trying to exclude everybody like King Julian. Right? So James uses it once to describe our tongue. It says, you know what, who can tame this tongue? Because the tongue causes what? Hellfire. And what he's saying there, he said, it's, he instructs us we shouldn't be blessing and cursing out of the same tongue, is what he said. Because your tongue can set off a whole world of fire, is what it says. And what he's trying to tell him is, if we, if we love, a soft answer turns away wrath, is what it says. Right? But how many of you guys know if you get into a arguing answer with somebody, what happens? Sets on fire. We shouldn't be blessing and cursing out of the same tongue, is what he's trying to tell you. Now, harder said than done, I get it. I want to hit people with baseball bats every now and then. And so do you, you loving Christian you. Because <laughs> isn't that true? All of us, we're not, we're, she's pretty good. I, I'm, I get irritated sometimes. So... All right, so that's the other place James uses it, hell. Otherwise, Jesus uses the word Gehenna, which is translated hell, every time to the nation of Israel and religious Jews, warning them that this is going to happen if you don't change quickly. You're supposed to bring Lazarus in versus keeping him outside. Gonna, the tables are going to be turned. You're going to realize that Lazarus was in and you were outside, and you're going to experience this hellfire. Okay? So all of his warnings about hell, Gehenna, were to the religious leaders. I already covered this, didn't I? Uh, he was warning them that the whole religious system of the day was about to burn down to the ground by the Romans. The law is going to be completely destroyed. They were goat. Oh, they were the goat nation that didn't listen. He goes, my sheep hear my voice. And he tells them, he goes, you don't hear me. I'm trying to tell you, but you keep not hearing. Is he talking about us today? No, he's talking about that specific time. So we're still worried about which nation is the United States, a sheep or a goat? I don't know, because it wasn't even written to us. I know that he's conquered sin and death, and I'm going to meet him at the mercy seat, and I'm going to meet a person, and you know what he's going to say? Hey, remember the new covenant? Your sins and your lawless deeds I remember no more. I've removed him as far as the east as the west. So what's my judgment going to be? Come on in. I've been waiting for you. 
have a hot dog. Oh, did you guys see John, well, Giancarlo Stanton's going to go to the Yankees? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, that's good news. No, no, I don't fast. <laughs> but I do eat Jewish national hot dogs. Hebrew national, I mean. So, can't eat that pork stuff, you know. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, that's, that's living to me. Anyway. So, his warning, they were the goat nation that wouldn't lessen. They were hardened hearing, but never hearing. They had lost their salt. He says, you know what? You're going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah, a salt pillar. There's going to be, there's no value anymore. You're just a lump of salt that doesn't do anything. But is all, all lost for Sodom and Gomorrah in Revelation? No, it says they're, they're going to be restored. Is all lost for Jerusalem, the Babylon, the great harlot, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt is what it says. No, it says all Israel will be saved. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so... Jesus, the Apostle Paul, never talked like this to the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting, they wrote? The Apostle of the New Covenant to the Gentiles never once talks about torture forever. It'd be pretty important. You know what? So if you go to the seminaries today, they go, Paul was wrong. Paul was wrong. Our job is to go get them in. And Paul's message was, you're in. He's conquered sin and death. He loves you perfectly. You can, you can trust this God. Isn't that beautiful? All right, next slide. I don't remember what I wrote anymore. Okay, the last enemy, death, Sheol, has been conquered. Um, Revelations 1.18. I am he who lives, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and death is what he's really, of, of hell and death. Hades is, is translated hell a lot of times. And uh, I'm skipping ahead. Ne- last, next week, I'll talk about uh, Hades and stuff a little bit more. And I'll go through eternal torment, where we see these verses. Eternal torment, eternal life, eternal punishment. I'm telling you, there's three or four verses in the whole Bible where we get all our concept of eternal torture. When you see them, you're going to go, he's good. He's good. It, everything starts to fit. So Revelations 20, 13. Greek mythology, the sea was always what? Where the serpent, where the snake, the deep, where the dead go. That's why Jesus walked on the sea. Because in Greek mythology, if you went into the sea, you went under the water, under judgment, guess what happens to you? You die. But my God can walk on the sea because he conquers sin and death. That's all the typology in scripture. Isn't that cool? Now, you can have enough faith and go walk on it, but we'll, we'll come with a life jacket and rescue you, you man of faith, you. So, you're going to sink. Right? <laughs> if you believe hard enough, now you're screwed. I've seen you. So... <laughs> No, I'm joking. So the sea up their dead were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead were in them. What's that saying? He just evacuated hell and death. They're out, right? And they were judged, each one according to his works. And we saw that last week. It says, you know what? Everybody's going to get in by fire, but it's going to judge your works. So here's the, you see, the whole thing's a setup to me. If you go read the, the, um, the Lazarus and the rich man, the sheep and the goats, the Jews thought they were in. The Gentiles had no idea where they were in. They said, you know what, you gave me a drink. They, and they go, we did? When did we do that? Meaning that they're, they're, your works can't get you in, your good living can't get you in. What's going to get you in? The narrow gate, Jesus Christ. All were in him. That's going to be the good news. Follow me? All right, so the sea gave up their dead, death gave up their dead, death, death and hell are evacuated, they were judged one according to the works. Some of them that are already experiencing it, they don't need to go through the, the purification process. What's going to happen? 
you're in. The other ones, it says, you know what? If, uh, if you need more of your purification, you're going to get thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. But, well, let's keep reading. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, meaning that death died. It purifies everything. So that he's all in all is what scripture says. And, it, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast where? Into the lake of fire. What's the lake of fire? The perfect love of Jesus Christ. He is the all-consuming fire. It talks about in, in typology, it says, you know what? He'll be sitting on his throne. I think it's in Daniel where it says rivers of fire flow out from under his throne. Isn't that cool? He's the fire. Why are we giving the devil the fire? He doesn't have any. He's a liar. He, he, he's, he acts like he has fire, but he doesn't have any. He's got nothing. He's got the lie, but as soon as you, he conquers the lie, guess what happens? We start to experience life, and we trust him again. So anyway, anyway, not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So death and Hades die. Everything else is cast in the lake of pure, is what that Greek, Greek word fire. It's Strong's 4442. The fire of God which transforms all it touches into light and likeness with itself. So when you get thrown into the lake of fire, what does it do to you? When Moses went up on the mountain, was it fire? Yes. When he came down, what, did, what happened? He was glowing. Right? What was happening? He, he was experiencing the glorified Jesus Christ. He said, when we see him face to face, what's going to happen? We are turned into his images by the Spirit. So he's in perfect love and he comes out glowing. Isn't that wild? He scares everybody. That's right. Because guess what? They hadn't gone through purification. They, they still think he's a fiery, angry God. Moses went right into it. And it didn't burn him up. It purified him. So, anyone not found that he's thrown into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is his eternal presence, his all-consuming love, the rivers of, of, of fire that are coming out of his throne, the all-consuming fire. He's, he's always fire in the old covenant, but he's always a fire of purification. It was never an endless torment or torture. Fire, and we know that. When, when you, he always talked about silver, gold, the, 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 uh, the smiths. What was fire always for? To get out the impurities so that all that's left is perfect silver and gold. Um, and so his fire transforms and touches and makes into his light and likeness of itself. Isn't that cool? So that's why I said, you know what? Hey, if this isn't going to enter, and he lists all those things, you know, drunkenness, all these different things, because what's going to happen? They're going to see him face to face perfectly, and it's going to purge all that things, the sins out. Their wrong belief system, fear causes, I can't trust, I can't trust causes that fear. I get self-centered, I can't trust this God anymore in this relationship, and guess what? I start getting angry, murder, strife, all, all the works of the flesh. Does that make sense? So once we get the right image of God and we see perfect love face to face, it purifies it and that stuff goes away. You guys get the picture? It's all typology, metaphors, etc. So last slide, I think it is. You guys good? All right. Once you get to your feet. And by the way, guys, um, you know, if anybody needs prayer for, uh, for healing, whatever, I want every service to be that. I know we did the, the healing services, but I was just showing you how easy it is that you guys, he'll use you. And you don't need to know much. If you have love and compassion, that's the best thing you can have. If you can see them as, as one of your own children, etc., hurting, in pain, etc., he feels that. And so that's, if you can get to people to trust him, not inward focused and look at their sin that's the best environment for healing so any guys need healing for your bodies etc come up any service because we'll pray for you okay so you guys getting this he goes i didn't give you a spirit of fear 
I gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And that spirit, we don't shirk away from him, but we call him what? Abba, Father, Daddy, I can trust you. A loving God. That's his spirit. He didn't give a spirit of you got to worry about hellfire for the rest of your life. All right? So it is sin and death that he came to conquer. He said, I came to conquer sin and death. I came to conquer the works of the enemy. And he did it. He said, it is finished. So his all-consuming love never ends and never fails. That's what he says. Anything that's not pure is going to be cast into the lake of fire, which is in his very presence. It's not separated from God. So whatever your concept of hell is, it's in his very presence of all-consuming love. And we already see that hell's empty. Now, does that mean everybody's experiencing perfect love? I don't know. He really leaves it open-ended. That's why the very last chapter of Travis, I, so I, I kind of give you what I believe, but I'm not telling you you have to believe that. I'm just showing you scripture. So 1 John says eternal life is what? Knowing the love of the Father. So death was what? Believing the lie about the Father that he's mad at us and we can't trust him, Adam and Eve. And what did we start to experience? Death, but eternal life, the age of ages of life is knowing the Father, his unconditional love. So eternal life is knowing the truth about his love and union with you. Hell is the opposite of that. So when you believe the lie, you live in fear and hell. His lake of fire, purifying love, ultimately consumes hell and death. We just read it, didn't we? Death and, hell are thro- death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, meaning death and hell died. All right, so the gates of hell not prevailed. Isn't that what he says? What he tells Peter? Hey, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. What are, what are gates do? Open. open and shut. People come in and out of a gate, right? He goes, they're not going to prevail against my unconditional love. I'm going to open those gates forever. I've got the keys is what he says. Doesn't he? Didn't we just read that? I've got the keys. And he came to love you. And he goes, I'm, I didn't come to judge one of you. I came to save you. So he's not going to turn you back into the, lock the door. So... Jesus has the keys and has flung the gates wide open. Is it possible that someone could reject perfect love? Maybe. But my hope is just like him. His hope is that none should be lost and perish. That's my hope. Now, do I personally believe he gets you at the end? I do. Because I actually believe love never fails. Now, if you don't want to believe that, that's fine. But I think you're going to meet perfect love face to face. Wouldn't this transform our evangelism? If we stop looking at people outside and go, man, he loves you perfectly, and you start having love and compassion, you start seeing the goodness in every human. Isn't that amazing? Because I see so many evangelists, we talk to them, and they, they have this word of knowledge and this prophecy and all this stuff, and he goes, you know what? All that's going to go away. You know what's going to be left? Love. Because it consumes all. I'm the all-consuming fire. Does that help anybody? Man, I love it. I love it. But I think if we really start going out there, I'm not trying to get you in the club, man. I'm just trying to love you. I'm trying to show you what, what Christian life is like. I'm trying to include you in this thing and actually have a relationship, not going, hey, I'm going to go invite this couple out to eat because I'm going to share the gospel with them. No, you're not. You're going to probably irritate them. You're going to set up all kinds of fire by your tongue is what James says. Because you're going to tell them they're going to go flame in hell and they're going to go, well, you go flame in hell. <laughs> Good job. And it says, even if they say it, they can't, they're not experiencing it in their heart because only if they receive that spirit, and the spirit just doesn't mean the spirit of life. Everybody's already got that in them. The spirit is, the second definition of spirit, we've taught this before, is a belief system that brings something to life. Now, let, let's put it this way. Um, I'm just, I'm not going to use husband and wife because that'd be scary for some of you guys. Let's use a, let's use a, let's use a boyfriend and girlfriend. Let's say there's a boyfriend and a girlfriend, all right? And 
it'd be like me having the hots for her, okay? So I was, I was after her. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, get me some of that, man, right? My kid thinks that's funny. I was after it, right? Now, what if I got this, what, I'm, I'm trying to win her love, I'm trying to get her over. Um, what happens if I go, bow, and love me? Gone, right? Now, but what, see, what we believe really affects us. Now, what if, what if what it's, what's, what's this? What if she gets a message from somebody and goes, you know what, I, is, uh, Mike doesn't love you. He's actually with his other guy, girl. What does she feel immediately? Well, for, yeah, we feel betrayed, guilt, etc., right? But it wasn't true. Somebody just made that up. But did she experience all those feelings of betrayal, guilt? Like, I can't believe he did this to me, rejection. Didn't she feel all of that? See, that's what happens to us when we believe the lie. It's not real, but we experience that hell. Does that make sense? And then she finds out, no, no, that was a lie. Mike's always loved you. How hard is it going to for her to trust me initially? That's, that effect's still there, isn't it? That's why you got to keep hearing the gospel of grace over and over and over and over. That's why it says, hey, renew your mind every day. It matters what you listen to, guys. It really does. When you start hearing this fire brimstone, and, and, I, and I would just ask you this, is, um, man, I'd love to debate them. If we could have a common sense debate and actually go through all these scriptures and go, look at all this. Where, where's your torture forever? How does unconditional love even fit with that? And you know what's happened? They believe this lie themselves that God's angry with them. They've lost their ability to reason and have love and compassion. When you see preachers, etc., talk about that, do they ever look like they're loving people? No, they look like they're pissed off. Because they are. And you'll see fire, you'll, you'll see gnashing of teeth when you tell them, you know what? Hell's restorative. Because <laughs> most evangelists, you get rid of their scary hell where they can control people. You know what they got? Nothing. Yet he says, we're supposed to share, we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ and share the message of reconciliation. So I've gone way too long. Does this help you guys? What do you want to know? It's, it's good news, man, right? So if God's for you, nothing in no situation can be against you. Not, and then Paul lists all those things, all these earthly things that all of us experience at some time, whether it's lack of money, uh, death, uh, all these things. He says, nothing shall separate you from my perfect love. Don't look at that, those, those outward things as any indication of my love for you or whether you're guilty or you've, you've sown and reaped these things. He goes, none of that's true. He goes, you know what, there are trials and tribulations here, but guess what, I've got good news, I've conquered the whole thing. One day you're going to see me face to face, there'll be no tears, there'll be nothing, and you know what, we can start to experience heaven on earth now, but there are trials and tribulations is what it says. He says, but don't let it think that that is any indication of how much he loves you. He loves you perfectly. You're perfectly sinless, righteous, worthy to be blessed as a joint heir in his kingdom. Is that fair enough? So, anybody need specific prayer? All right, so Father, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you. Just, oh man. Just let this message not be divisive because it's such great news. It's the, it's the original gospel that was preached by the apostles and Apostle Paul and their founding fathers. This isn't some strange thing. Just let that truth that he loves all humanity. God was in Christ reconciling the entire creation to himself. Let that be our message that we are ambassadors, that we share the message of reconciliation to a world that doesn't know it so they can start, stop believing the lie 
and they can start to feel life right now. They can start to feel love and compassion. Their bodies start to heal because their fear system starts to turn off. And we just say thank you for all of that. Father, do miracles in their lives. You are that power. That power of, of believing the right thing so zoes them. It starts to heal them from the inside out. So they start to experience life. They start to experience joy. They start to experience peace in their lives no matter what's going on. We just say thank you for that in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. You're released in Jesus' name. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll, uh, we'll go through the other things on, on hell and the parables over the next two weeks. Mm-hmm.